So I wanted to start out by sharing a story that I read. Um, is a story about a race that takes a foot race that uh, takes place in Australia. Um, it's a 543, roughly 543 mile endurance race from Sydney to Melbourne. And it's considered one of, uh, among one of the world's most grueling um, marathons, or they call them ultra marathons because it's so long. The race, uh, it takes five days to complete and is normally only attempted by world-class athletes who train for the event. You know, they're, they're sponsored by Nike and Adidas and, and all these other um, uh, corporations. But several years ago, Back in 1983, there was a man named Cliff Young, um, and he showed up at the start of this race. Now, Cliff was not sponsored by Nike or anything like that. In fact, Cliff was 61 years old, and he showed up wearing uh, overalls and work boots. <laughs> but to everybody's shock, Cliff was not a spectator. He was going to participate in the race. So he picked up a race number and he joined the the other runners. And um, obviously there was a lot of intrigue and uh, excitement and buzz around what is this guy doing here? And is this guy even going to finish the race? Is he even going to live through the race? So, you know, obviously when the race started, all the pros, they got off to this fast start and they left Cliff behind. And, uh, you know, I, I think at the at the beginning of the race... He kind of became a little bit of a joke and maybe a little bit of a human interest story. And they thought, oh, how cute this guy is going to run in this race. Um, and so Cliff, he didn't even really run properly. He appeared to kind of shuffle along. In fact, later on, I read some other stories on this. Um, because you never know what you're reading on the internet. You know, it's, when, it, when it's something sounds far-fetched, I always try to get it, at least one other source to tell me that it's the same. And it was. There was several stories out there. But uh, it, one other story said that, uh, you know, his weird, odd shuffle, people started copying it later. <laughs> and you'll hear why. So they feared for this guy's safety, you know, that he was not going to, you know, be able to finish the race. And so... Professional athletes, all all the professional athletes, you know, they study up on how to finish the race and they read how people did it before and talk to people and ask them what their secrets were and things like that. And so they're prepared and they've got strategies, right? So the strategy really was was that the, the race took about five days and um, they had to run about 18 hours a day and then sleep six hours and then get back up and run 18 hours a day. But the thing is, is... Cliff didn't know that. So when the morning of the second day came, you know, everyone was in for a surprise. Uh, not only was Cliff still in the race, but he shuffled along all night long. He didn't stop. Eventually, uh, Cliff got to the end of the finish line, and uh, he had set a new course record, winning the race. Because he didn't know you were supposed to stop. The Apostle Paul, bringing this back to uh, something spiritual, <laughs> the Apostle Paul often described what it meant to follow Christ by using the illustration of a race, right? Um, he made reference to that image 
uh, in, in multiple places in Scripture, and, and that includes the, the passage that we're going to look at today. In this passage, and this happens to be in Philippians chapter 3, um, Paul, you know, this, the letter to the Philippians, you know, is kind of an emotional roller coaster. Paul is kind of covering a lot of ground, and it's very personal. But in chapter 3, you read at the beginning of chapter 3, he starts talking and, and warning them about, um, uh, in verse 2, he talks about beware of dogs, beware of these evildoers, beware of this fa- false circumcision. And, you know, it, it seems as though he's addressing some of the same false doctrine that had been um, uh, filtering into some of the other churches that he pastored or planted and, and was in communication with. Um, some of that being uh, that there were certain Christians or certain sects of Christianity back then who thought, you know, to be a real Christian, you had, uh, you had to... Um, just practice both Judaism and Christianity at the same time. And so um, he was talking about them being of the false circumcision. And he admonished the Philippians to, to follow his example and to keep the right focus. And so I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 this morning. It says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also uh, was, for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Knowing the finish line still lay ahead of him, Paul was determined not to let anything distract him from reaching it. The beginning of that first verse, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Here we're kind of catching Paul in mid-thought here. He had just expounded a little bit earlier upon the route in which he would take to reach the goal and receive the prize. So back in verse 10 and 11, preceding this, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the, and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul would follow Christ in life and in death and in the resurrection. I think Paul's point here is a very important one because it's all about perspective. He was very conscious of the fact that he was not in heaven yet. Right? He's not in heaven yet. Uh, in just a few verses, Paul proclaims a little bit later on in this chapter, for our citizenship is in heaven. In John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying for his disciples, he, he talks about them and us being in the world, but not of the world. In other words, this may be our physical location, but we do not belong to the world at large. We're, we're really not yet at home. So, what does Paul think we should do? He has a, a personal two-step process, I think, that he kind of outlines here that I think that we can follow in our everyday lives. Step one, forgetting what lies behind. See, now he doesn't say forget what lies behind, suggesting that this is kind of a one-and-done thing. 
ah, just forget what lies behind. He says, forgetting what lies behind. And he's implying this, we need to continuously, ongoing, uh, we need to continue to forget what lies behind. Um, as one author defined it, it's a conscious refusal to let it, like his past, absorb his attention and impede his progress. So he doesn't want to be consumed with the past or what happened in the past or continually looking back. I think this was an important acknowledgement for Paul. After all, Paul had accomplished so much in his quest to follow God, right? We all know Paul, uh, the great apostle. But even as a Jew, he had attained anything and everything that a Pharisee of the highest order would pride himself in. Right? He was, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. And then as we know, as a Christian, he planted churches and presented the gospel to people across the known world at that time. If anyone had a reason to look back and to be content with all that they had done in the name of the Lord, it was Paul. But no matter what he had done, no matter how much ground he had covered, he's not in heaven yet. He had not reached the finish line. And furthermore, it wasn't his accomplishments that would get him there. He says in this very same chapter, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss. Anything that I would be a proud of, anything that I would boast about, I count it all as loss. So what would get him there? In verse 9, he mentions it. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The author of, of Hebrews, and this is one of my favorite passages, uh, puts it this way in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we're encouraged to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And I just want to focus a moment on the phrase, lay aside every encumbrance. Now an encumbrance here in this context, it could be defined as like a burden or a weight. Anything that would weigh us down or slow us down. Now, sometimes these are not things that are necessarily inherently sinful in and of themselves. Now, they can lead to sin, but these are things that can slow us down and ultimately hinder us from reaching the finish line. And so I just wanted to bring up a couple of those possible encumbrances. The first one is our tendency sometimes to rest on our, rest on our laurels, so to speak. To be content with what we've already achieved and, and not continue with that same level of effort or energy in following after Christ. Now, Paul certainly avoided this. 
while we should most certainly not be ashamed of, of what we've accomplished for the kingdom or maybe how many years we have served the Lord, we've not earned anything by that, right? We've not built up enough momentum that we can coast across the finish line from this point on. Now, my older son, Cohen, he loves, he loves uh, race cars. And whenever we're flipping through the channels, it'll be Sunday or Saturday morning or whatever, and he sees uh, NASCAR on, we've got to leave NASCAR on for a while. Um, lucky for me, he has a short attention span, too. So, you know, we see probably like 10 laps, and then he's off doing something else. But this reminded me of NASCAR, you know. And, and, and I, I thought to myself, you know, if there's a NASCAR out there, driver out there, he's, he's, he's out ahead of the pack. He's in the last lap of the Daytona 500. I don't think you'd ever hear that guy radio his pit crew and say, Yeah, I'm out ahead and I've built up a lot of speed, so I'm going to go ahead and try and put it in neutral and just coast across the finish line. I don't even know if you can put it in neutral in a NASCAR, to be honest with you, but... But you get what I'm saying here, right? You wouldn't take that chance. You want, you, your mind is on that finish line. He wants to see that checkered flag wave. He's not gonna do anything to jeopardize that. He's gonna keep going full speed all out until he crosses that finish line. So we can't rest on our laurels. Gotta keep going. Second encumbrance. Bless you. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the term homeostasis? I know anybody that has a medical background should have heard of this anyway. Homeostasis, and this is, um, I'm going to read this definition because I don't have it memorized. Um, it, it's the tendency of a body to seek and maintain a condition of balance or equilibrium within its in- internal environment, even when faced with external changes. Is that fair enough? Uh, so, simple example of that is the body's uh, internal temperature. It wants to maintain a temperature of 98.6, right? It wants to be 98.6 whether it's 32 degrees outside or 82 degrees outside, right? That's, that's homeostasis. It wants to keep it all the same. I believe that it's human nature to not only desire internal homeostasis, but we desire a, a state of homeostasis in our lives as well, right? It's our human nature to not want to live in a constant state of, of tension or turmoil. You know, we all want to achieve a state of peace and comfort in our lives, myself included. The danger is, is that while we strive for peace and comfort where we're at, complacency can set in. And we can lose sight of where we're trying to go. When we moved to Wisconsin, our long-term plan um, was to be in full-time pastoral ministry. Um, but we felt along the way that God led us on a, on a detour from that overall plan. Uh, I believe that was still part of his plan. We didn't necessarily see it, see it coming at the time, but I believe it was part of his plan. And we were here for a reason, and I'm, I'm glad we were here. We love this church, and we love each and every one of you. And, you know, 
as I look out on this congregation, I, you know, I remember praying for a lot of you. And I'm sure a lot of you prayed for me. I remember serving alongside of you and, and worshiping alongside of you. Each and every one of you. And that was part of God's plan. But I believe that at some point in my life, God gave me an overall calling and I needed to not lose sight of that as well. And I have to admit, you know, there has been a lot of temptation just to stay here because we're comfortable. We, we This is a great church. It's a healthy church. You, you know, you don't know how rare that is to find a great healthy church with a great pastoral staff, a great lead pastor. We love what is going on here and, and the vision on discipleship and and growing in Christ and then reaching the lost. We love what's going on here. It's awesome. But God gave me an overall plan, an overall vision for my life, and and I, and I can't lose sight of that. And I can't become complacent. So, complacency, encumbrance number two. Encumbrance number three, um, I initially said it was lies of the enemy, but we would say it's false narratives, right? Jesus had this to say of Satan. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. And I believe that, you know, uh, Satan is always at work trying to sow lies, uh, false narratives into our society and into our own lives. You know, what are the, some of the false narratives that Satan is trying to um, sow in, in our society right now? There is no God, right? Or that we are or that we can be like God. And, and there's several ways that he, he's trying to convince us that we can be like God. Number one, that we can define our own truth. That we can have our, our own standard of righteousness. Or even that only science can is the ultimate truth. Not the word of God, but science. We can only trust science. The other thing that he tries to sow into society is that, um, like I said, our, our moral standard is equal to or better than God. God got a lot of that wrong. We can't, you know... That's not what we should be doing. Also, he tries to convince us that we can be like God through um, us having certain skills, talents, or abilities. And our society, in our society, that can make you godlike, right? If you can shoot a basketball through a basket, you are godlike in our society. But what about in our own lives? Satan tries to sow lies in our own lives. Number one, that God doesn't love you. God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really care about you. And you know what? I believe that probably most of us, if, all, if not all of us, and at one point in our life, we're, we're tempted to think that or believe that or buy into that lie. God has abandoned you. What well, you know, there, I've certainly faced situations in my life that I thought, man... I can't believe things are going so horribly, terribly wrong right now. And Satan tries to come in and say, yeah, that's because God doesn't really love you. If he did, you wouldn't be in this mess right now. God doesn't care about you. And sometimes maybe we are tempted to believe that. 
Another one that he, he tries to sow into our lives is that satisfying our own flesh can bring us happiness. Right? You can see that anytime you turn on the TV. I've never seen a commercial where people were not smiling. Right? I, in every single commercial, people are smiling. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to convince you to buy something. If you buy this, you will be smiling too. Just like these people. He also tries to sow the lie that God doesn't keep his word or that his word is not true. So we have all these encumbrances, all these weights that that can come upon us at certain points in our lives. And a lot of times we can carry them or embrace them. And when that happens, that can sometimes lead to sin, but it certainly does slow us down from reaching that finish line. So what does Paul say? He says, forget what lies behind, right? He says, in step two of his two-step process is reaching forward to what lies ahead. You let all that stuff lie there, forget about it, and reach forward to what lies ahead. Twice in this portion of scripture, Paul uses the phrase to press on. Press on. Here, press on, you know, just means to pursue, to seek after something eagerly or earnestly, to keep going. What does Paul say he's pursuing? In verse 12 he says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also, for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. In verse 14 he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. He keeps his eyes on the prize. Right? He keeps his eyes on that goal, on that finish line, and on the prize. Again, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. We are encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the author, it says. He is the originator. He was the first one to run the race. He determined the path. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the first one to cross the finish line. Amen? It says, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And now he's there. He's standing at that finish line. And he's, he's telling us, he's encouraging us, he's spurring us on to follow his path, the path that he ran out, that he laid out before us. He's standing there and he's encouraging us to keep going. And he's reminding us that when we cross the finish line, we will be with him where he is. So Paul pursued following Christ's path until he crossed the finish line and he joined him in the resurrection. You know, the race that we're running can be a long and difficult one. It can be full of obstacles and trials, full of encumbrances, full of the temptation of sin. 
And I believe that we all face certain points where we're tempted to give up, right? To, to just throw in the towel. And, and maybe some of you here today find yourself right in that point, at that point. Um, I also believe that many of these temptations come because at some point during the race, we lose our focus and we take our eyes off the prize. We lose sight of that finish line. Instead, sometimes we even set our sight on sights on shorter, more manageable distances. Maybe not a 543-mile race. Maybe we need to just divide that up like the rest of the like the rest of the runners did. I'm going to run 18 hours and then I'm going to sleep six. Then I'm going to run it. So in essence, they're running you know five consecutive 18-hour races instead of one continuous one. So the new prize becomes that goal that we're, we're presently trying to accomplish, or, or maybe even just getting back to um, that state of balance or that state of equilibrium in our lives. That becomes the, the new closer finish line that's in, in our sights. The path that we follow stops being a marathon, and it starts just becoming a series of shorter sprints. And so let me explain what I mean by this. We can fall into a trap sometimes of being so emotionally wrapped up or, or even mentally focused on something that we're facing or something that we're trying to accomplish that the finish line just moves up to be just beyond that situation or just beyond that accomplishment. So our race is no longer, you know, to be next to Jesus standing in heaven. Our race becomes, can I just get through this? Can I just get past this? Can I just get beyond this? And when we get into a habit of doing this, several things can happen. Whether or not we enter the next life sprint, sometimes uh, begins to depend on the success or the experience of the last one. So when we start setting our sights on shorter goals... We get through one way or another. We pass the finish line of that first that first sprint, and we say, "Ooh, that didn't go so well. It did, I didn't finish like I thought I would. It, it was really difficult. I don't know if I want to tackle this next sprint if it goes like that one. If we lose focus of the original finish line, we can wander and get lost before we know it, right? Because we lose that ultimate direction, that ultimate true north that we're supposed to be following." And we learn sometimes that in these short life sprints, we don't always win the prize we were hoping for. And that can be discouraging. But if we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, standing at the finish line, and the prize that awaits us there, we can keep the proper perspective, right? And we can keep on running. Keep on running, like Cliff Young or... <laughs> From the story that I, that I read at the beginning, um, we can keep on running. We all need to keep the proper focus in order to finish the race laid out before us as followers of Christ. Now, I know that on a day like today, maybe this was not the message that you were expecting. But... Let me say a couple things about that to kind of bring this all together. 
You see, if you go back and think about this section of scripture, Paul talked about a lot of his past accomplishments as a Pharisee, and then, you know, we, we even kind of recounted his accomplishments as an apostle. But at no point was Paul attempting to distinguish between his personal relationship with Christ and his ministry. Right? Those were not, those were not in two separate spheres. They were not two different things. They were all a part of Paul's race. Right? They were all a part of Paul's race. We had the option and, and the temptation, might I say, to just stay here at a place that we loved and be comfortable. You know, I, I even asked God one time, you know, when I was praying about, you know, what he wanted us to do. Because I, I was, you know, I, I we, we just thought, man, how could God want us to leave such a good situation? But I just couldn't, I just couldn't get rid of the feeling that there was still something yet God wanted me to do. I just kept praying about it, like, God, why, why? Why can't I just be content? What is this spurring me on, stirring inside of me? Why can't I just learn to be content being here? I can still be, you know, a lay, be in lay ministry or, you know, a part-time ministry and still work at Northwestern Mutual or where I'm at now and, and, and be content. And I believe that God spoke to me and said, you, you can't let it go because it's part of who you are. It's, it's, it's not what you do, it's who I made you to be. And so, we accepted this new ministry opportunity because I'm still pressing on toward the goal. Amen? And this is a part of my race, and my wife's race, and my family's race. And we aim to complete it. Bless you. I'll leave you with this, this quote from uh, an author, R.P. Martin. He's, according to Martin, um, this passage of Paul models, uh, quote, the, the picture of a runner who strains, strains every effort to press forward in the race. The prospects of the finish line and the prize of victory spur him on so that he might finish his course with joy. To do this, he must run without swerving and with the utmost effort. So, as I close, I'd like to remind you that, you know what, we're not there yet. We're not across that finish line yet. But we have Jesus standing there at that finish line, encouraging us, cheering us on, and waiting to greet us there. And I'd like to also encourage you not, I would like to encourage you to forget what lies behind and reach for what lies ahead. And don't stop pressing on toward the goal. Amen? Amen. Let's pray real quick and then I'm going to invite Pastor Mark to come back up and close the service. Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you for this message. Um, it's challenging, but we need to be challenged. We need to keep going. This is not a sprint. This is a, a long marathon race. And, and it is fraught with trials and tribulations and obstacles and, 
and encumbrances and sin and all sorts of things that get in our way. And God, I think that we all need to be reminded to keep our eyes on the ultimate prize. Which may not be getting through an illness or the loss of a job or a broken relationship. It's about being there with you in heaven one day. And joining you in the resurrection. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord, for um, my race, the route of my race, and the route of my family's race coming through Portview Church. I thank you that my race and my family's race intersected with so many other brothers and sisters here today. And that for a time, we were able to run side by side. And Lord, I just pray that as our race, our courses diverge a little bit here in the future, that you would bless each and every one of them. Help them keep their eyes fixed on the goal, on the prize, and keep running their race. Help them to forget what lies behind and keep pressing on toward what lies ahead. And us as well. Because you know what, Lord? I know that even though our races, our race courses may diverge right now, I know that we're all headed toward the same goal, the same finish line, and we'll be together again someday. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. I just pray that if anybody here is, is, feels like they're weighed down by some, some sort of encumbrance in their life, or maybe, you know, maybe they've bought into um, the lies of the enemy or the false narratives that God doesn't love them or that they're in the middle of a situation that they'll never get through or, or maybe just being complacent, you know, uh, being comfortable where they're at. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just touch them and, and spur them on and help them to keep running. And, Lord, we just thank you because you went ahead. You ran the race. You finished it. And now you're standing at the finish line, beckoning us on. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And, Lord, I just pray that you would bless um, this church family, bless Portview, bless its pastors and its leaders, O oh Lord God. Give them vision. Give them wisdom. Give them strength. And, Lord, I look forward to hearing what you're going to do here in the upcoming weeks and months and years. I believe you have a great future ahead of for this church. We just thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name.